From Noble Robot in Minneapolis and along the Mojave Freeway in California, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk games and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Arthur Croy. I too make nice games. It's our Game Developers Conference 2023 special. Mark and Dale are on location in a car, while Steven and I are in the clubhouse asking questions about GDC. So if everyone's ready, let's start. The long intro, because there's a lot of stuff happening. So much. Yes. We're all over the place, literally. Oh. Literally all over the place. Literally all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, one thing that's kind of special about this episode is it's our 300th, but uh, GDC happened, so that takes precedence. <laughs> I'm sorry I couldn't make it into the clubhouse for our 300th. I feel really bad about that. <laughs> I mean, you, I think you're having fun adventures, and we're all kind of sad that we didn't get to go on the fun adventures with you, though. <laughs> it seems every GDC, we seem to find a fun new way of doing it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's that is wild. We do actually. I don't think we've ever had a consistent GDC. That's good, though. That's it good. Is, that yeah. means it's yeah. still delivering interesting, interesting challenges. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Okay, so one bit of meta we wanted to bring up on the show um, that is conveniently timely um, is Lane Davis, friend of the show, and, uh, you know, who helped make Fingence, one of the co-founders. I don't know. He helped with it. Um, He did a lot of the work. He didn't just help with it. He did a whole third of it. Co-developer? Co-developer, that's the word. Um, He is making a board game named Final Strike, and he has put a campaign up with uh, Peter Yang, who is also a friend of the show, um, and helped us uh, publish... Um, Glom, um, they've put a campaign up on GameFound. You can check it out in our in our show notes. Um, it's already funded, but they could use more funding. They could always use more funding. So if you stretch goals, yes, it's a cool game. Stretch goals, stretch goals. It's a cool game. So if you're interested, please check out the link. Um, yeah, just wanted to shout it out because uh, it's still going on. I think Dale has been doing a lot of playtesting with it for that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and um, just to see it come along. Uh, to from where it started, and it's been long simmering too. So yes. it's 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 a it's a uh, finely honed uh, piece of game design. Yeah, and it's I read people not just because we're recommending it because a friend of the show, but like it's proper good. Yeah, so check it out. It's proper good. Yeah, Lane's been working on it for like eight years or something. It's, yeah, listen, if you can believe it, um, it's been in development longer than Vengeance <laughs> has been in development. <laughs> wow, new record. <laughs> so actually, it's kind of wild. I was playtesting. We were playtesting a version of Final Strike. Way back when, and that's how we came up with the idea for Vengeance. Um, oh, so, funny! Yeah, yeah. So this is a, it's it's got a storied history. Yeah, that's <laughs> really game. cool. It really, yeah, it's it's really fun to play, and it's mm-hmm. got I feel like pretty unique or notable balance of cool mechanics and yeah. cooperative and competitive. Yeah. I, I love that mix. It's yeah. really good. Plus wow. little cubes. Plus little cubes. Little cubes. Yeah. So check it out. Okay. That's enough of that. Enough of that. Mark. Yeah. Give us the meat and potatoes. How was GDC this year? Uh, GDC was fun. Uh, it's the second year back in person uh, mm-hmm. since the pandemic started. Um, and uh, I will, from jump, I will, the uh, pandemic restrictions were a little different. Okay. Last year, it was mass required, uh, vaccine verification required, and they did it through a, um, uh, um, like an app service. So they had kind of a, that was uh, suitable for uh, Americans with their vaccine cards. Yeah and Europeans with their vaccine passports, and it accommodated kind of the international audience of GDC. Mm-hmm. This year was a little bit more laid back. They still required vaccines, um, or you could do a negative test, but it needed to be a PCR test. It okay. couldn't be just a home test. 
That's um, and, mm. and they did them on site. So that was good. So if you came totally unprepared, um, but they did not require masks in the buildings anymore oh, because that okay. is essentially mo most people are doing now. It's kind yeah. of a uh, familiar standard. So I think they just, you know, they, they couldn't bring themselves to ask, you know, 20,000 people to do that, which frustrated me a little bit because I was one of, you know, maybe one in a hundred people, which is still a lot of people, frankly, mm -hmm. but one in a hundred people wearing masks uh, there. So I had masks, my mask on indoors the whole time. I felt relatively safe. Um, okay. One of the things is just like with last year, uh, attendance was down. So it really wasn't oh. as crowded as these things can get. It was still more than there was last year. Okay. Um, so Ellen, uh, imagine the uh, crazy amount of people you witnessed last year um, <laughs> and more than that. Uh, but still, uh, I think less than two thirds of the of the peak, which was in 2018 wow. or 2019 or something. Huh. Okay. So it wasn't there. There weren't a lot of like panic moments where you're shoved up against people or whatever. Um, okay. And so that's the that's the sort of the 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 background which um, kind of permeated the whole experience. So you know, I tried to spend as much time outdoors, which you can do because the park is nearby. Um, I didn't uh, you know eat at restaurants. I grabbed something and went outside. And so same. Same kind of provisions or precautions that I took last year. Um, now that the event is over, we're hearing on Twitter, you know, the folks who did get COVID, which is going to happen because those people went to parties or whatever. It's just going to float around. Uh, as far as I know, no outbreak or super spreader event or anything like that. Good, um, good. But of course, you know, it's still out there and people are still getting it. So yeah. you're not taking the precautions. You're, you know, you're just way more likely uh, uh, to get it. But I feel pretty yeah. safe. Um, so uh, I, I thought I'd be a little more uncomfortable, but I think it's because... I've been sort of living in a world that has taken their masks off for the past couple of months yeah. that I've sort of gotten used to that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's just sort of simmering in the background the whole time. Um, but um, yeah, uh, but GDC itself was very cool. I think this year, last year was our, was our big press push. The, the three of us went and did a ton of interviews yeah. um, and, and we shared a lot of those. That's that still fun. up on the feed as well as a bunch of uncut stuff on the Patreon, uh, wink, wink. Um, uh, this, uh, this year, uh, partly because I'm, you know, working on a game, I don't have anything to sell or show to publishers. I don't necessarily have any career, you know, uh, networking I needed to do. So there was a really low, I was kind of, I didn't have to do a lot. Um, so I kind of just went back and I, I saw a bunch of talks, uh, which is really cool. So I'm going to talk about some of those, um, as well as some of the other, some of the, the, the developer meetups and, and, and networking things that I did do. Um, so we can go through those one by one, but we do have to do a proper tease because, oh, yeah. <laughs> as, and listeners have heard us talk about this as we were planning for GDC, um, you know, whether any of us were going to go, who was going to go, once we decided I was going to go, what I was going to do. Uh, folks know that, um, certainly because I'm recording this from the car on the way back, we road tripped out here. And part of the reason we did that was so we could drive to LA afterwards to go to Super Mario theme park. Um, which is what I'm calling it. I know it has another name. Um, <laughs> one day at Super Mario theme park, um, I'll just give you the the top line magical experience. Whoa. But I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no more. No. Uh, and because well, Stephen, I'm gonna talk to I'm gonna talk to you about it. Oh, okay. I'm gonna talk to you about it. Okay. But listeners, you're not gonna hear a whit of the Magic Super Mario uh, theme park and all the other fun stuff that we did at the Universal Park and in Los Angeles uh, on our way through. And you're going to hear nothing about the road trip. Um, and why is that, Stevie? Because you have to go to nicegames.club slash Patreon to get access to it. Or ah. patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. One of the two links will work. Um, <laughs> <That's> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to go there because it'll all be on there. So I'll have heard of it, and it'll be really fun, and I will not – 
uh, it will not leak a peep about it. You have to go to Patreon to get that content, that sweet, sweet content. Sweet. Sweet I think the best content. thing about this as a tease yeah. is that we are not going to be talking about GDC for the next however long. Right. And Steven, you still have not heard about Super Mario theme park. I know. We're going to do that afterwards. I know. And so <laughs> I, I do, we get to torture our listeners, which is always a joy. Um, and, you know, uh, on-ramp them to our, our, our paid services. Big evil plan yeah. we've got. But also <laughs> I get to torture you a little bit and that's just a, a lovely thing. He does yeah. like so doing that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that over the next uh, however long. The, sweet, sweet. The cherry on top. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, can um, we just skip to the end then? <laughs> GDC was great. How about? No. <laughs> I mean, Stephen, if you want to, you know, subscribe, double subscribe to my personal Patreon, maybe, you know, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can set up a special deal for you. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> I'll work on that. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So we, we okay. drove in. The one thing I will say about the, the road trip is that, oh, man, was I tired on Sunday night. Oh. Um, there are usually okay. some meetups on Sunday night before GDC starts, and I didn't get to go to any of those uh, just because we weren't in town yet. Yeah. Um, but it also meant the early morning Sunday yeah. stuff. I didn't go to a ton of things on, on Monday or early morning Monday, um, which was fine. And one of the things that when you go to GDC enough times, you make a schedule, and then you're like, you go to about half of that stuff. And that is something you learn over yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And um, they – I. GDC, I think I've, we've said this the past couple of years, partly because over the pandemic, they really ramped they ramped up their their virtual and video stuff. Um, so much more of this stuff is is online now, and I think they are a lot quicker. This is just me with feels. I don't know exactly, but I feel like they're a lot quicker getting stuff sure. to public YouTube um, as well as behind the paid GDC vault. Yeah. So um, there's never been mm -hmm. uh, less motivation to like try to rush to see every talk you need to. But there were a couple that I want to, and I think I've talked about yeah. this on the show on our GDC episodes before. There is something about being there that does stick with you. And it's kind of, it's sort of like, you're like, oh, I can't believe my brain is that dumb. That, <laughs> that if I, if I, if I hoof it and sit in a row, <laughs> yeah. that somehow that will stick with me more than if I just watch it on YouTube two weeks later. But it sort of does. So I did, there were a couple ones that I wanted to make sure I did hit. Mm -hmm. um, uh, first two days of the conference are the, the summits. Um, and uh, namely the Independent Games Summit. So lots of the indie talks are in the first two days. Um, and the first one I went to was uh, Where Publishing Agreements Go Wrong, uh, which was an interesting talk. Um, there's always publishing agreement Ooh. talks. Um, Mike Rose has done a bunch of those, um, and he is now my publisher, which is kind of fun, um, because I, I, I always, I saw, like, he had yeah. a lot of really great actual informa information for indie devs as uh, No More Robots was growing. And I was like, oh, man, I bet it would be cool to work with him. And now I do, um, which is cool. Uh, uh, this talk was um, <laughs> by uh, Kel, uh, um, Kellen Voyer, uh, another uh, um, uh, uh, person with um, expertise on the subject. And um, basically uh, broke up okay. the, the sort of main problems you get with licensing agreements in sort of four categories. Um, or sorry, five categories, uh, which made it a lot actually really, really digestible. I mean, I've, I've seen I've seen versions of this talk before, and I always go back to them because you kind of do want to drill this stuff in your head a little bit, just so you kind yeah. of it's it's like knowledge you need to just hold in your head yeah. rather than like look up every time. Um, and so uh, basic things are um, yeah. Uh, the uh, a license. So when you sign your game away to a publisher, what are you signing away? And that's kind of obvious, but that isn't always the same thing. So um, sometimes uh, you can have uh, your exclusivity scope. It'll be too large. So it'll be like you have the exclusive right to publish this game on these platforms. That seems totally normal. But what about exclusive uh, exclusivity to any kind of merchandise or rights to the characters or the uh, um, you know the uh, the copyright associated 
with the content. Because it's one thing to license your game to sell it to a publisher, but what you're actually not doing is giving them the copyright to your work. Um, but there are some licenses that ask for that, and those are that's a red flag. Yeah. And I think when you're signing your first publishing deal, you kind of just assume like, oh, it's a company. Okay. I sign my thing to the company. It's normal stuff. But it actually is a little bit more complicated than that. And as the artist, you still have an interest, even if you have no leverage whatsoever. You do have an interest in maintaining um, a lot of those rights for yourself, um, even if it's like the only deal you can get you still should be able to yeah. um you know turn uh, you know turn down some of these red flags um and that that's one of them it's just this the, the scope being too broad for exclusivity yeah that's that's the kind of that's the kind of conversations that we've been trying to deal with at, at future clip too is that kind of stuff yeah and and uh, the, the thing with a lot of these is that these red flags is they are kind of standardized so um you will find that most publishers that you want to work with knows these knows these and does mm-hmm. and is already not including them, right? So it's 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 not so much that you need to. I mean, maybe I don't know if this is exact. You do want to look right, out for these right. things. You want to negotiate if you can. But if you see them, it is a red flag, right? It's not necessarily something you can get it changed, but it's also something to think about. Well, if they put some of these things in here at all, is it? You know, should I be working with this person even to begin with? Um, it doesn't always mean that you should know. Sometimes you're maybe there is an experience in experience right. as you are. That's right. totally reasonable and totally fine um but um that's what that's why these i think are phrased more as red flags rather than just like you know um you know uh discussion points or whatever uh but let me get to the rest of them so uh, uh royalties so you know how much money to get paid basically one of the things that, that was helpful in this talk was sort of um putting together an average um from many contracts that they had seen um they said that that uh um People, uh, it's a lot of indie devs think 50-50 is pretty standard. I think for a lot of us, we also think 70-30 is pretty standard. Um, it's 60-40 is actually closer to the average uh, percentage uh, for publisher developer. 60 to the developer, 40 to the publisher. Um, also, generally, you have recoupable costs. So publishers, wow. um, this is all stuff I think people have heard before. Publishers will spend on marketing uh, and then they'll recoup that money before they pay out the license terms. But the red flag here is the terms of that recoup. So you don't want a, you don't want to you know uh, um, you know get funded for your game, then have the publisher try to make all that money back before they pay you. Because then in the time after the game comes out, when all gamers hate you and you need to do a, a day one patch, uh, you are not making money for six months. Like that is a pretty dangerous place to be in. It's it is the reason studios close, um, it, uh, or a reason that a lot of studios do close is that that that, that yeah. contract puts them in a position where they just cannot keep the doors open because they are waiting for royalties to begin, which don't happen until their advance is paid off. And so you want, you definitely want to negotiate with that. Again, good publishers know this. They are interested in the health of developers. Um, so they will, uh, you know, try to make sure that yeah. that, that, that rate can be different. Um, it can be 80, 20 in favor of the publisher until the recoup happens. Some publishers are just like, we just start the, the, the 60, 40 or whatever it is that they negotiate with you. Um, they just start that right away. Some publishers are like that because they still get money. So they, they just recoup slower. Right. So, and these are all things you can negotiate depending on your scale in the scope of your company. Um, and the, the, the publisher can explain to them their interest in doing it one way or another. And those mm-hmm. things can be adjusted. Um, the other thing about that is uh, yeah. you do want to make sure that if there are recoupable costs, you need to know what those costs are and you can't. You also want to make sure that the, the the publisher can't just spend whenever they want. 
sort of infinitely growing to that recoup, even if it's within categories that you can contractually agree to. If there's a marketing budget involved, you need to know how big that marketing budget is going to be because you want to make sure that the publisher isn't spending too much money. Yeah. Now, you obviously may not have the expertise to determine what a good number is, but those conversations can get that started so you at least have an understanding of what it's going to be. Whether you, you know it's a good idea or not is another matter, but just being aware of that stuff is really important. Um, also, things like internal costs, like if they're paying for QA, um, they shouldn't be charging you for QA, right? If they're offering you QA as part of the publishing deal, they're not, they shouldn't be recouping that QA as part of the sales. Right. You know, that should be part of the profit they make from the game at, at the royalty rate. That shouldn't be a recouped cost to you. Um, little th things like that, just being aware of those things and making sure that they don't put too much stuff in that recoupable category. Um, third category, uh, you know, marketing. A lot of times you just say like, you'll market it, great, contract signed. Um, sometimes you, you do want to get a little bit more of an understanding of what that marketing budget will be. Smaller indie publishers tend to have no marketing budgets. They will, they will hoover up a bunch of little games and hope one of them hits. And that is sort of a, a predatory practice. Um, it's not, there's not a lot of losers in that situation other than that your rights have been signed away. But the, you know, they spend nothing, you spend nothing, nothing's yeah. lost. But you do kind of want to understand what their, what their intent is and what the scope of their marketing is, what kind of marketing they're interested in. And that, you, you know, uh, a lot of times that's a separate thing. The contract will say, or this is the advice I got in the talk, is uh, the contract will say, um, uh, in the contract it say that you will then agree to a terms, a marketing term, um, you know, separately. And if you don't, this then, then this contract is void. So um, you kind of do. It's a bigger document. It's it's. There are some things that are fuzzy. Depends on you know. Uh, and so the contract isn't always the mm -hmm. place for that. But making sure that it is included is something you want. That sort of stuff. And that that notion applies to the next category, which is like DLC and add-ons. If you if the publisher wants you to make extra content to keep interest in the game alive, you want that the scope of that defined in the contract. Um, and the last category here is just is IP ownership. This is the big red flag that I think a lot of people are becoming more and more aware of. Even if you're a nobody, even if no one's ever heard of your game, no publisher should own the intellectual property of a game that you make. You are yeah. still, it's still yours. And and the thing is, is publishers don't want that anymore. Like generally a good publisher fully understands yes. that yeah. they have no interest in owning your IP. They fully only agree. have an interest in licensing it. Um, and the only reason they would have an interest in owning it is so that is to lock it up so that you can't bring it somewhere else. And that's predatory. So um, I, I think that's the, probably the one where you'll find most publishers uh, um, you know, worth their salt right. um, right. are, are fully understand that. And there should be no argument there. So when you see it, that's a big red flag. Yeah. Um, Can I pause so for a second? Yeah. Just to say um, that you were talking about like revenue shares and marketing and like all these agreements with your Bluetooth headset on yeah. in your SUV and your sunglasses driving through California, it's like 100% business mark. This is like, <laughs> this is like California business mark. Yeah. This oh, is the man. version of business mark we get. I, I thought you were going to say that, oh, we didn't hear any of that. Could you please repeat it? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> No, I got all of it, got but I was I was distracted. I'm like, okay, he, next he's going to talk about venture capitals, and he's going to talk oh, about no. all the startups that he met. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Uh, <laughs> the other session I want to talk about on Monday is uh, I went to one on, on porting, um, which is great because oh, I've, cool. I've been doing some porting work. Um, yeah. And um, the, I built a little tiny micro business out of porting games. 
And um, I wanted to kind of see someone who takes it seriously. Uh, how do they do it? And so <laughs> it was great because one, it, there's always, it's always great to go to a talk where you're like, Oh, okay, I'm doing it right. Um, yes. And, and there was a little bit of that here, um, but I don't want to, I don't want to make the claim that I'm doing everything right. The other thing sure. it did really well is it really organized a lot of the information that I've had scattered around into ways that makes it a lot. I was like, Oh, Oh, I understand where the efficiencies are. I understand. Like it, um, it was, it was a really good one for me to say, okay, I'm in the right direction, but if I want to sort of do this properly, here's how I should structure it. Um, yeah. and so I, I had a really, really good time with that one. Um, I, I'm not going to get into the details of it in specific, just to say that it was, it's never a bad idea to go to a talk on something, you know, a little bit about, like yes. it, it, sometimes you want to go to things that you know nothing about so you can learn more. But sometimes you get more out of a thing that where something you've actually done a little bit of just to see how it's done by others and to sort of maybe help you refocus. And that was definitely yep. a case of that for me. Those um, are my favorite kind of talks to go to. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Well, that in the panels, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on Tuesday, the big thing on Tuesday was the Playdate developer launch. Um, this was Ooh, announced. Yay! Yeah, it was a thing that the folks from Panic put on. And they announced it like just a couple of days before uh, we we set out, and so I already planned to go. But I was like, "Great, I'm glad I decided to go because this is why I'm going." Is um, <laughs> it was fantastic. I got to meet a bunch of people from Panic, um, as well as a bunch of other folks working on Playdate games. And there awesome. is two things that that really made this really valuable to me, and really like like made me feel really good about the direction I'm going with the work I'm doing for Playdate. One is when I when I um, when I heard this was happening before we were leaving, I'm like, okay, we're going to be on the road for three days. I'll have my laptop out. Um, I've got my EV. I can plug my laptop right into the back of the car. And so I don't even worry about battery dying. I could do some work. And so I'm like, you know what? I Let me focus on something I haven't looked at a while, which is Noble Engine, my Playdate uh, game engine. Why don't I uh, you know, uh, pull in some of the pull requests that people have been submitted and, and that I've been neglecting because I haven't had time. Let's do a little bit of that. That way, when I go to the Playdate developer lunch, I'll maybe it'll be on my mind. I'll have more to talk about. And um, I ended up getting a ton of work done on that, which is really fun. Oh, um, yay. And so, so a lot of my mind this week at, at GDC has been focused on Playdate stuff. And a lot of it is because this event came up and I wanted to sort of be a good community member there. And so I wanted to bring it all back up to the surface. But a couple interesting things happened. Uh, one is uh, talking to the folks at Playdate or at Panic. Um, they were they were telling me that they use Noble Engine internally. Um, You're uh, kidding oh, me! Yeah. Oh my um, gosh, that's so cool! It was really oh man, wow. it was a I mean you know your heart grows when when you hear stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, one of the one of their um, their their uh, producers uh, you know is really just a, you know focused on um, you know um, uh, really developing this as a platform. Said oh yeah, I made a bunch of prototypes. And then I brought it to one of our senior developers and I, and I, and like, you know, can you help me sort of polish this up? And he said, Oh, the first thing we're going to do is put all that on Noble Engine. And I was like, that's oh my just goodness. great, you know? And that's exactly what I wanted it to be for. <sighs> I wanted it to be a prototyping engine for experienced developers. I wanted it to be a full yeah. service uh, engine for beginner developers. And knowing that it actually has spread the gamut of different folks using it because also when I was meeting folks at the developer lunch, they were also telling me that like, I know people who use it. Like I've been meaning to try it for my next project. A lot of the folks at the lunch were folks who got in uh, to the program when I got in. So they, therefore all their projects were made before Noble Engine was ready. And to hear them say like, Oh, the next I'm, I'm going to try that next. Um, and then uh, hearing, uh, you know, as I've been working on 
uh, sprucing up the engine in the car ride down, uh, communicating with folks about what they're working on. Mm -hmm. There's somebody building a whole virtual uh, or um, a a visual novel uh, um, uh, platform on top of Noble Engine uh, for Playdate. Uh, which is, I, I cannot wait to get back wow. to work on the rest of this car ride back home to start looking at that code and seeing how it, because <laughs> I would love for Noble Engine to be a platform for other tools. And it's it's turning into that. And so I'm feeling really yeah. good about the development of it. The, you know, the drawback is that I'm still working, you know, full time on, on, uh, you know, on Dream Settler. And so when it, when I get back home, vacation's over and I've got to decide, you know, how much I can really devote to play dates. Yeah. I think I, think i do have some solutions to that moving forward that i will talk about on the show uh when i when when those things do move forward but i've kind of a renewed development on it and so that's been that's been really exciting that's um so yeah so cool that's so cool congratulate that must have felt so good like i can't imagine like that must have been a good moment yeah i think when when i was like oh people are using noble engine and oh i'm seeing people talk about it with each other and i don't have to be part of that conversation it's really validating but then yeah to literally be standing in a room with the people who designed this thing and, and that they know what it is and that they actually use it. It's just every, as the conversation went on, it just became more and more unreal, you know? Um, and, 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 you know, we've talked on the show before about like, what is yeah. a sign of what, what, how do we measure success? Right. And I think um, one of those ways you can is just from one mm-hmm. person telling you a thing, you know? Um, yeah. Oh yeah. And, Absolutely. And, yeah. Right. And, and, and that can, that can be in spite of anything else that it does or doesn't have. And I think noble engine has been successful insofar that it has, but you know, there are fewer than 30,000 play dates in the world right now. And so, you know, mm-hmm. the community is still very small. A lot of people are still waiting for their pre-orders. And so the fact that, that in that small community, noble engine, and, and I have a little part of it um, is again, it's, it's, it is a little surreal and, and, and very thankful to the folks who gave it a shot when it was really a bit of a mess and then watched it kind of build up. Um, and then, you know, it's been sitting around for a couple of months. I haven't had time to touch it and people have come to it. Um, so it's been, yeah. yeah, I don't know. There's not many more ways I can say it. It's just been incredible. Um, and, and being able to experience yeah, that that's so in cool. person with a, a, a group of folks um, was great. But I will yeah. say, just a local celebrity now. This on is to- great. <laughs> I will say, on top of that, the the playdate lunch was fantastic. We got an update from Arissa, the the dev relations uh, person at uh, Panic, who's been who is a great uh, a person. To talk. She's the the nexus between all of us in the de- uh, you know uh, the developers and uh, the the company, and she's a really good. Uh, I mean. Dev relations is a hard job. Yeah. She's great at it. Okay. Um, and she gave a presentation about like just what the platform was looking like, what how, what Panic was thinking moving forward, a couple of you know pieces of, of data that that wasn't quite public, uh, not quite secret either, but just information that they distilled for us to get an understanding of what the market is shaping up to now that Playdate is out in the world, and that yeah. all of us are we all tried uh, working with this stuff for fun, but it's still. Uh, you know, we want to sell our games. We want to see what the customers look like and what kind, you know, how many uh, Playdate uh, uh, owners uh, bought games on Catalog, their new um, on-device store. Um, You know, what is their thinking about a potential season two of games and when that might come? And one of the things I admire about Panic as a company, at least how they're developing the Playdate, is they're not getting too far out ahead of their skis. They are kind of seeing how it goes. They're planning for what they need now knowing yeah. that they're going to have to change those plans soon enough 
And I think that's a very yeah. smart way of allocating the resources that if you look back over, say, three years or in the next three years, you could look back at that and say, well, that's really inefficient. But it's really it makes a lot of sense for with what they know and when they know it. And I think that's one of the hard things right. that is it's difficult when you're planning a big project to not want to plan too far ahead because it takes a ton of discipline yeah. to not get out ahead of your skis. Yeah. And I think they're doing a really yeah. good job. Um, and yeah. Uh, Good agile right. management. <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> you know, and because, you know, there's folks there that a lot of us in the dev community know and trust um, it, and they've been really open and they have a philosophy of openness, um, which is very cool. So I really can't say enough good things about them. And I'm sure I'll devote another episode of the show to talk about uh, Playdate and likely Noble Engine going forward. Um, but that was my Tuesday. Um, yeah. um, we ended, we capped off the day where Dale and I had dinner with Max, our guest booker. Yeah! Um, Max and I had a uh, How's Max doing? Max is doing great. Um, Max was a CA at, at GDC again this year. And, you know, just total uh, summer camp environment. I mean, he's 23, so, you know, the things children get up to. Um, <laughs> I, it, it's, it's cool to see. Um, and it was great, yeah. it was great to, to meet Max again. Uh, we all met him for the first time last year at GDC at, at, mm-hmm. at a dinner with him. So, you know, we, uh, uh, he meets with us uh, every month to plan out the show. Um, so it feels like he's in the clubhouse with us. But it's nice to share a meal um, as, as well. So that, that yeah. was fun to do again. Um, so, so that uh, capped off a really fantastic Tuesday. Um, Wednesday, what interesting happened on Wednesday? Um, oh, uh, one thing you might... Hey, when was the... I have yeah. a question. When was the uh, the gig gathering? Oh, that was on Monday. Um, yeah, that was okay. a, um, the games industry, games industry gathering. Um, that happened on Monday, uh, just a gathering of folks. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, again, people you see on a Zoom call that you see in person, it's like it is the same, but it's different. Yeah, yep. Yep. for sure. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yep, and and I think um, one of the things I guess I'm I guess I'm getting close to getting ready to come up with my theory of this which is that it doesn't matter like <laughs> it's if, if you're if your friends are zoom friends they're your friends yeah. and if you meet them in person i mean yeah they're you can you can do different activities together yeah but it's actually not that different um at least at least the the, the friendships that i made uh through gig are very contextualized to the gig experience sure. because i'm i'm friends with a bunch of people who i wouldn't be friends with otherwise and that's that is kind of magical mm-hmm. because we have the context with which we can become friends yeah. and share things. Yeah. Um, and uh, seeing a lot of those people in person was really fun. Of course, uh, I got to give Osama a hug, Yay! which was nice. Um, uh, and Dale got the chance as well later in the park. So, you know, any, anyone's, you know, you're at GDC and you get to give Osama a hug. That's, that man that's gives the best hugs. Experience. Now I'm jealous. Yeah. Now, now I have conference yeah. envy. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> All right, so time travel back to Monday, but now we're back to Wednesday. Yes. Um, and I, I will say that probably the the most interesting thing that I went to that Stephen wishes he was Oh, at it's Kirby. It's Kirby. The, the, <laughs> the many dimensions of Kirby. Yeah. Um, Dang it. So that was really fun because it was a bit of a postmortem on um, Kirby in the Flat, Forgotten the Land and Kirby Return to Dreamland Deluxe. Yeah. That's the name of it, That's the right? new one, yeah. Um, it was, so it was sort of split in two. Um, and um, the couple interesting things happened. One, they lined us up immediately. Like the thing at GDC is that if there's a busy talk, they'll ask you to get in line so that they can count, so they can make sure to know who to turn away. 
because you don't want some you don't want to be waiting in line for 30 minutes and then get turned away because then you miss out on something else so they try to make sure that they know how many folks are there for a busy talk um whereas normally they just let you in until it's full Uh um but in this case they kind of made a miscalculation because attendance was still not full attendance so they started making setting putting us online we in, they snaked us out through onto the rooftop oh, of yeah. Moscone Center. Yeah. yeah, I saw that photo. So that was interesting and kind of cold. Um, <laughs> but also, it gave people... It was, I think, the only talk that had, that they did one of these lines for. And um, it also started 30 minutes late. Oh. So a bunch of people in line were really confused. They were like, wait, has it started yet? Are they going to let us in? Should we just leave? Did they like, it was a little bit unclear what was going to going on, but it was, I think it was just the speakers had some difficulty set up or someone showed up late or whatever okay. reasons things start late. Yeah. Um, but it started 30 minutes late. So um, I did miss my next thing, but because of my new attitude about it's fine to miss things, it didn't bother <laughs> me. I just hung on the roof, made a couple of friends in line. And then uh, the Kirby talk started half an hour later. See, but it's, uh, it's laid it was back. not actually at full capacity. It's laid back California business mark. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly right. Um, but no, the, the, the talk wasn't at full capacity. Okay. Uh, it was mostly full, yeah. but they could have just opened the doors. Yeah. They didn't yeah. need to, you know, uh, it, you know, but, you know, they, they, they tried to figure out how they're going to do it. And I think uh, they, it's still a, it's still a weird year, even though it's back to quote unquote, the way it was. I think GDC is still not uh, quite the way it was. Right, yeah. And uh, the one thing about Informatech, the company that runs it, that anyone who goes to or is involved with GDC will tell you is that they charge too much for their tickets, mm-hmm. they spend too much on their organization, or they spend too little on their organization, and they, uh, you know, uh, they seem to cut corners in ways that does not make sense for a conference that costs twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, and 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 they put so much of the labor on the CAs who are essentially they volunteer their time in exchange for a conference ticket. And they they do have this kind of like fervor about doing a good job and they are great. But like it's the, every time something does, I keep thinking like, oh, well, these are all volunteers helping out. You know, they're doing their best. And I'm like, wait a minute, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone yeah. paid a lot of money right. to be here. And 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 th- none of that money is flowing down to the folks who are actually making it run. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think never let it be said that anybody is okay with how GDC is put together because I am definitely not. Mm-hmm. And as much fun as I have there, and as much uh, that I get out of it, I always want to make sure that folks who listen to us talk about it, and and folks who think about going to GDC themselves, which I still do recommend going at least once in your career, it should yeah, you should always know that it is there are a lot of things wrong with it yeah (laughs) absolutely and that was one of those things where it sort of made me right reminded me like oh right this all could be done for cheaper and more organized for everybody yeah anyway many dimensions of kirby (laughs) a lot of of fun Uh and here's the thing that i got most out of it okay is that talking about um it was really a lot of the information that was in it was distilled from places you've seen before. Okay. Um, famously, Kirby going to 3D. One of the interesting things that showed up on Twitter a long time ago was about the um, uh, the camera uh, uh, perspective having an impact on hitboxes. Yeah. Um, so that when you you know when you when you throw a boomerang or whatever it is Kirby throws, not a boomerang, and it looks like it should hit the the, the enemy, but but geometrically it doesn't the game is very forgiving in terms of the camera perspective uh matching up and that's something that was really interesting 
that I think people have heard before, but hearing that in detail was kind of fun. But also just all the other mechanics that are designed to provide what is core to the Kirby experience, which is accessible but deep, uh, if you choose. And that is definitely something I felt Hmm. playing Forgotten Land, which, and I'm not a, I don't know a lot of Kirby games, so I could definitely feel that even though it was a 3D game, it definitely felt very much what I've always heard Kirby is. But here's the thing, Stephen, that I never heard from you in the two years we worked on Widget Satch. Oh. But the more I heard about how the Kirby philosophy is, the more I thought, dang, Widget Satchel's a Kirby game. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. In a lot of in a lot of the ways that a Kirby game is, at least by its creators, defined as what makes a Kirby game. Yeah. Is that it's something that you can just goof around in if you want to. Yep. But if you but if you so choose, you can take your adorable mascot. And have the one of the most difficult video game challenges of your life. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel like that's kind of what we did Widget Satchel for. Yeah. But we never we never talked about it in those terms. Yeah. But it's very much a Kirby yeah. game. And I was just sitting there thinking, like, was Stephen thinking of that the whole time, or did it escape his notice? It was as well? So obvious, he didn't so have to I, mention it. <laughs> a lot of my game design influences come from Sakurai. Um, so right. I know he wasn't the one doing the talk, but I, I uh, a lot of you know yeah. he influenced what Kirby is. So a lot of my, right. my a lot of my philosophies and thoughts about games come from Kirby games. Um, so like I'm, I, I I maybe didn't recognize it, but I I wouldn't have had to because it makes sense <laughs> um, that that would be the case. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, anyway, you know, I'm glad I went because uh, <laughs> you know it was it was good to get that little realization. But all the assholes, the other thing yeah. is that that sort of accessible but deep gameplay is not unique to Kirby. Right. It's a it's a it's it's very it's a very Kirby idea, but it exists elsewhere. And that's one thing you definitely learn when you think about games as being sort of singular is that really when you think about it hard enough, nothing is new and that's okay, Right. And but things can still be Mm -hmm. they can still have their identity, even if it's composed of things that either partially or nearly fully exist elsewhere. And I think that's one thing as an artist that takes you a little while to get comfortable with because it's kind of scary that you can't make something that doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, but you still can yeah. make something that's unique to you or, or has an identity, even if it, even if it is mm-hmm. very much like something else. Um, and so that was sort of maybe an unexpected insight that I got from that talk. Okay, so we talked about Patreon. We said Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. We will continue to say that throughout the episode. Yeah, we're going to say it a few more times mm-hmm. after, right now, and then later also. Yes. Um, but the reason we're saying this is because Mark has teased us with a bunch of really cool stories about right. what he and Dale got up to in California. Yeah, we have not heard these stories yet. No. Um, so uh, just the just hearing, seeing this list is uh, fascinating, and we'd love to know more. And listen, you can learn more. You go to patreon.com slash nicegameclub. Yeah, so give us some money <laughs> yeah and some probably very small amount of money yeah it's not a lot <laughs> you, of money i don't i think you pretty much get access to everything if you go donate like any amount yeah yeah okay cool um anyway so yeah mark uh mark and dale are taking a driving break right now they dro- drove their electric car mm-hmm. um all the way to california yeah. the, the new I- ionic is that what it's called uh, yeah i think so the ionic yeah I don't it's a really cool it's cool it's space very car. cool yes space car Future. And so, yeah, they're taking a charge break, and they're getting some food and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and and before they left, they gave us a list of nine cool things 
or adventures or not cool things. We don't know yet. We haven't heard these stories, but right. it's like nine things we're going to hear about when they come back. Yeah. Um, so, Stephen, what are some of the things that they teased us with here? Yes. Uh, how they survived a California blizzard. How they had to disable life support in order to get enough engine power. I don't know what the heck that means. It yeah. feels like a Star Trek thing, but I don't know. Sure. Um, also, there was a 100-year windstorm. That sounds intense for a week-long trip. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff to deal with just in those three bullet points. Mm-hmm. But they also got stuck on that hill, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, how they saw one of the best movies of all time, but on stage. A Star Wars musical, maybe? Perhaps. <laughs> I don't think Mark would categorize Star Wars as one of the best no, films of all time. No, probably not. That's fine. Um, also, apparently Mark got stuck in Bowser's Castle, which I am very excited to hear about. I got stuck in Bowser's Castle when I was six. <laughs> yeah, like in the game. In Mario Kart, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's more, though. Um, how five of eight rides at Universal Studios broke down. That's uh, pretty. Oof. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, how the person sitting next to them at the Waterworld show was its biggest fan. That sounds obnoxious, <laughs> but also exciting. Yeah. Um, and how Mark lost his phone at Rainbow Road. Um, again, that, that is an experience I did not have when I was six. So that's got to be a fascinating story, at the very least. So all of this, all of this wild stuff that we don't have any context on, but sound very interesting, you can find again, Patreon.com/slash/NiceGamesClub. Please join us. The other thing that was really interesting on uh, Wednesday, it was uh, um, hearing from Epic. Um, I went, it was a sponsored talk. Okay. For folks who are familiar with GDC, a sponsored talk is essentially a way for a company to talk about, uh, get some onboarding on for their services or their products. So yeah. they'll present about them. And so they yeah. tend to be still pretty interesting, but they are also somewhat motivated right um the most the most interesting sponsor talk i ever went to was a microsoft uh, uh virtual reality sponsor talk where they gave me a vr headset and i think i've told that story on the show before but that was an uns- yeah. that was an unsurprised uh, uh bonus so yeah. every now and again i look at the schedule and i go who would be most likely to give out a prize <laughs> <laughs> and some, that's a good strategy. Yeah, it's maybe it, maybe it's a maybe it's not a good idea that I should be looking at things that way. Anyway, I went to uh, Epic Games. Um, they are now opening up their uh, the store, the Epic Games store, uh, to self-publishing yeah. developers. So they have a biz dev team. They've been um, cur- heavily mm-hmm. curating what appears in the Epic Games store, but now they are uh, allowing folks to publish themselves, just like how it works on Steam or Itch or any other PC game store. Um, and so just hearing about yep. that structure, hearing a little bit about well, where they were in that process, uh, what they were, what the roadmap was going forward, um, and what their sort of advice was for their particular audience. Um, because, because it was a sponsor talk, it had a little bit of an advertisement to it in the sense of come port, port your, put your game on our store because we have this much market share, yada, yada. But it was also fairly realistic in terms of its comparison, especially to Steam. Um, and they were sort of not, um, they were not sugarcoating a lot of that. They were basically, uh, yeah. um, and that was, that was quite interesting because I think when you have a game or a couple of games that have been released, um, anytime a new avenue opens up, especially if it does not require porting it to an entirely new platform, you do kind of want to be in the business of like, how much would it take me to get it over there and what benefit might I see from it? So that's definitely something that I had yeah. in mind. 
one of the things that very much frustrated me um, and which I sort of shared with them afterwards um, was the fact that they are working on linking um, multiple games from the same publisher or developer. Now on Steam, it's a metadata system. So you click on the developer's name, it shows up all the games they've made, but you can also find their, their, that developer's you know, homepage or hub. And Steam has done a garbage job of providing the, those sort of developer pages but yeah. the meta the metadata is all there. The sort of like uh, cross reference database of developers and publishers. So you can click on a developer's name or a publisher's name, and you will see a search result of all the games they worked on. Epic does yeah. not have that on their game store. And for indie developers, especially those that might have different publishers for each title, that is something that is a must have for a storefront because it provides natural mm. discovery. And and I was I was quite fr quite frustrated to hear that that is not something that is first on their priority list. What they're working towards mm. is to have um, developer-created hub pages, um, developer and publisher-created hub pages, which is great. Those are things you should have. But, for example, Dream Settler is, is uh, going to come out on the Epic Games Store, and Noble, yeah. Noble yeah. Robot and, well, Tender Shoot and Noble Robot are listed as the game's developers. And that is how the game is being right. credited. Um, but... If we were to say put Widget Satchel on the Epic Games Store, there would be essentially no way for someone who is anticipating Dream Settler to take a look at what else that Tender Shoot or Noble Robot has made that might be out now in order to give that a try. And that is right. a natural point of yeah. a very simple point of natural discovery that is very, very valuable yeah. to indie developers, especially at the scale that we are at. That is that and that that quite yeah, just to hear the fact that they no, it needs to happen, but that they do not quite seem to understand how important it is, at least from my conversations with them. It will show up one day. Um, I'm not in doubt of that, but it was good to learn that. Yeah. So I'm not sort of living in hope. Anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um, and if folks agree with me that that is something that needs to happen sooner, especially for folks who are going to be using their new self-publishing program, I would suggest giving them, uh, you know, contacting them to say so, because they more the more they hear from folks the more it will right. influence their roadmap. And that is something that they did say. Yep. So it's not it's not that they are not expecting people to to ask them to do certain things. Yeah, yeah. But I will say, Epic Game Store, eighty eight percent to the developer, twelve percent to the pub or to the platform holder. It's still way better than Steam. <laughs> so I still recommend um, yep. the I still am quite pleased that Epic Game Store is there to compete mm -hmm. yeah. in that space yeah. because that 30 percent that steam takes that gravy train that they've been on on the labor of the independent developers mm -hmm. um kind of needs to stop yeah. and so i'm glad there's there's someone uh, in there to provide that pressure um but at the same time i really do hope that folks can provide the pressure to epic to make it a competitive place because that natural discovery does help and does in some way make up for the, the the fact that there is a different the revenue share right it's part yeah. of what yep. ends up making that 30 percent seem uh, something you can swallow is because you know steam has good features in a lot of mm -hmm. ways yeah mm -hmm. anyway yeah. that was an interesting bit of uh uh, uh, uh it was interesting to to go to because i had a couple of different um uh, sort of ways in and out of it if that made sense yeah sure epic there's something else. <laughs> um, 
Okay, on to Thursday. Um, I think once the end of the week rolled around, I was starting to want to see some more fun talks, some more postmortems, yeah, some yeah. more things that I didn't have to take as many notes for and could kind of just enjoy. I did still take a ton of notes, but <laughs> so, so yes. Yeah. Um, but I saw a great talk on Immortality, the Sam Barlow game. Oh, um, cool. That, re- that really made – I have not played that game yet. And mm. really, really uh, – I've always wanted to, and I seemed like the kind of thing about my alley, of my alley – but um, the talk was about um, the sort of um, the the storytelling process and the evolution from her story to telling lies to immortality, yeah. which all had a similar kind of genre, but used different mechanics and an evolution of that. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a fascinating kind of great sort of uh, behind the scenes talk, I thought. Cool. Um, and that was why I went to that, and that is what I got out of it. Um, yeah. The other thing that happened on Thursday that was probably uh, the exception to my let's just find some cool stuff to check out was the IGDA general meeting, which was put mm-hmm. on by the IGDA leadership. They talked about the um, the sort of year in review, essentially, in terms of um, things like budgets and memberships and stuff like that. That was of interest to me as an IDGA uh, chapter board member. And there was a great little bit of Q&A afterward where we talked about uh, where folks asked questions um, that was relevant to them specifically. That was also interesting to everybody. And, and I think the the direction the IDGA is moving in is a good one. I think they've been long this for a long time. It's been very difficult for us as a chapter to feel part of the parent organization. Yeah. And that is something that has been a, that has been essentially self-reinforcing, as there's mm-hmm. been little for the, to little relationship with the parent org. Our particular chapter has forced its own identity, in a sense, not in opposition to, but in spite of the parent org. And yeah. I think in the last couple of years, those of us on the IGGATC board have been trying to find a way to bring us closer to um, the parent org. In, in part to get the resources that they can provide and yeah. for us to be able to take the resources that they can provide and give them and give them to our community right, right. in a way that can can get some results in the community. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of frustration about that, but that's essentially the case with volunteer and nonprofit organizations. So that's normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the, the direction that they are going in in the way of like trying to find more grant opportunities for chapters trying to provide more funding directly for uh, chapters, more uh, coordination with regional managers, monthly uh, check-ins with chapter leaders and SIG leaders. I think they're doing a really good job. I think they could be doing a lot better. And I made some contacts that I think I'm going to follow up on so that I can help that process. So that was really exciting. Cool. Um, and that was just a session they had at GDC. Awesome. A general meeting. It was, sort of, it was kind of interesting, actually, really cool. uh, that they had it in that venue. Um, seems like a thing that might have a, that might be something you could do somewhere else, but it made sense for them at the, to do there for, I guess, an efficiency yeah. sense. I don't yeah. know. IGDA is a pretty big presence at, at GDC historically. Right. In that that's where a lot of the SIG groups will meet up, have roundtables. Tons of the roundtables at GDC are... Uh, organized and put on by IGDA. And I think that's why that relationship happens. But it's a little bit like there's sort of two or three things that IGDA does, and one or two of them make sense to have in that place. So there's a sort of like set of inefficiencies, but a set of efficiencies. Yeah. So 
Interesting. So there was another really interesting thing that happened on Thursday, but you know what? It's one of the things that happened outside GDC, oh. and so folks are not going to hear about it mean. unless they get on the Patreon. That's so, cruel. You know, you'll hear more about that throughout the episode. Patreon.com slash Nice Games Club. California business startup <laughs> mark. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> this is sunglasses mark, Last you guys. Of- totally different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, last day at GDC, I saw a fantastic talk oh. on the, the game Tunic. Oh, cool. Which okay. is, oh, man, was it a good talk? Yeah. It was about secrets. Oh. And, oh, snap. Uh, Dang it. That's yeah, cool. <laughs> it was about how secrets are designed in the game. One of the things that's interesting about Tunic is that as you traverse through the game, you pick up, you, in the game, mm. you pick up pieces of, of the game's manual. Oh. And that's such a fascinating mechanic because it's this sort of metatextual thing yeah. that is in the game. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I think the the secrets is sort of a core, sort of a core ex, ex, um, expression mm-hmm. of how Tunic works, I yeah. think. Um, um, so one of the interesting things about the, the, the way that secrets are structured in Tunic is this life cycle of a secret kind of philosophy. Which is to say, when you encounter something that you don't know anything about, you're in the stage of ignorance. Yeah. As you start to search around for things, that's the state of knowledge. And that is where people like most to be, is yeah. just as they're working their way towards the solution, that's the most satisfying part of a secret. And that's a little counterintuitive. You think it'd be like when you figured it out, when you got the, the last right. thing, which is the sort of the understanding which is right after the last step of the knowledge stage, which is the aha of discovering it. Mm. But once it, once you understand it, it's this kind of very satisfying, but extremely fleeting feeling. And that was the, that was the sort of insight yeah. that we got. It's the sort of um, the, uh, the metaphor, the, the thing that, that he had um, compared it to was when you're playing Tetris and you're building up a big stack of Tetris blocks with that one gap, and you get that long boy, yeah. that is so satisfying. <laughs> and then once it's gone yeah. and you have nothing left in the Tetris board, it's so boring after that. And so yeah. <laughs> it's like, what, what do you do now? The same thing again? But as you get yeah. as it gets closer and closer, that anticipation. And so um, uh, that kind of anticipation and build toward is a way that um, he described how secrets in games might work. And I think, and I don't think you put it this way, but I think it's a really good way to assess whether the discoveries and the exploration and the secrets that you put in your games are working for players. If they have that sense where the Mm. best part Mm. is the anticipation of finding it. Because, and if that part of it is really, really uh, rich and satisfying. And I think that's a really, really good way to to put it that I had not thought of in any sense. And so that context, I think, was really, really cool. But the other thing, too, was the way that uh, Tunic did it, the way that it's sort of recommended if you want to have that kind of game, is to have all these... Um, he described them as paths, and that the further you get down a path, and the further you look down a path, the foggier it gets. And But then the further you walk down the path, the clearer it gets as you mm. go, until it connects to something else, and that's the sort of discovery. Right. Yeah. But what's really, really cool is when you have two parallel paths that you're sort of on at the same time, 
and in the sense of the metaphor breaks down a little bit because you're not physically walking the path. But All right, right. You, have these, you, you, you have these paths, and if you have two or three of them that are sort of happening in your mind at the same time, what's this about? What's this about? And then suddenly they're, they connect, and you're like, oh, dang, these two things come together, and that's the solution. So rather yeah. than yeah. what's this, what's this, what's this, I then found the solution. It's what's this and what's this other thing, and then slowly working your as you work through to find that they actually they are the solution to a third thing yeah ah. and that that's a really satisfying thing and the sort of connective and diverging paths and you know you talked about other ways where you could sort of subvert that in a way where you can have one particular thing be this explosion of uh, results so if you have a secret amongst many secrets and one of them is this explosion of new ideas that provides all these new paths to new secrets. That is a particular kind of satisfying thing to find if the game does not guide you. there. And that's the thing about the sort of um, secrets that players can find, but they don't have to. Yeah. And that means they may never find it. And I think right. that when you're a player, when you're a player who finds something that might, that you could to yourself think you might never find it, is so cool, especially yeah. if it's a thing that really does help you along the way. Because a lot of times a secret, and we talked about this very recently in a secrets episode, is yep. Yep. at least the way we just find secrets in that episode is something that just is a dead end, right? It's a thing you yeah. found and woohoo. But I think mm -hmm. the, the thing that happens, the way that they describe defining an entire gameplay structure as built of secrets and exploration, is that it needs to be designed in a way that you can miss some stuff or you could miss quite a lot of it and still keep going. Because when you find the stuff yeah. that could be missed, it feels special to you because you found it. Yeah. Not because yes. you figured out that it was always going to be there or because it was a blocker or because it was a gate. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was awesome because the, yeah, um, that's cool. you know, the, the more of those you have, the more can be optional, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. But hard hard way to design a game yeah for yeah sure. that is very true a lot of material yeah. yeah you're making a lot of content that like a lot of players aren't going to see so as a result you, you have yeah. to justify that to yourself and it's hard to i imagine it's hard to justify that to a publisher um so i get that well, it's interesting that that's a whole other conversation yeah we'll have to come back on a part two that, <laughs> oh, that sounds, that sounds like eggs. a roundtable topic for us yeah. to dig into later yeah, this yeah one day I, I, and I only got through like just a bit of my notes on that one because there's oh, yeah. so much more you could talk about on that topic. I was really, really Sounds excited. Really and even if That's I couldn't necessarily cool. apply it to a game I was working on, one of the nice things about a talk like that is it's very specific to the game it's working on, but it's not quite a post-mortem, right? It's not just that yeah. here's a fun behind-the-scenes story. It's here's really yeah. interesting ways about how it was made. And if you were to make something like this, this is a way we did it. And so right. it doesn't give you an answer. It doesn't tell you how to do it. It um, it's kind of this in between space that makes it really cool. It makes it really mm -hmm. grounded in a way that that um, it's not abstract knowledge. I guess is what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's an explosion of ideas. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah for sure. To quote someone in a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was uh. That was Thursday or it was your Friday? Was that Friday? That was Friday. It was the last day of okay. GDC. And there was, okay. there was one more thing that happened on GDC. It's a bit of a, a downer. The last oh, thing no. I saw. And I kind of waffled back and forth on whether I really wanted to talk about it. But I, I, I think I do. Which is the Experimental okay. Game Workshop. Which is the... It's a thing that happens every year. Where um, yeah. mm -hmm. it used to be called the Experimental Gameplay Workshop. And the change to 
experimental game workshop was really deliberate and they did kind of an explanation of why they would they change that in the last year or two yeah and i did not find that very satisfying as an explanation because oh. what i think happened and this is not to say that any of the stuff there or any of the curation was particularly bad or anything sure but i was a little disillusioned with that concept of the experimental game play workshop because it, I think it used to be a way for people who were trying some stuff out that they didn't know if it worked could could um, could kind of show it off and get an idea of like, hey, here's what I'm doing. Is it anything? And I think yeah. what happened at this particular one was it felt like, because the Experimental Game Workshop, it felt a little bit like a bunch of artists in a sense of like artist, um, artist collective sense. Uh-huh. Kind of promoting art. Oh. And and I don't think that's bad, but yeah. it didn't but seem it's... like it was the thing that worked that they should have done. I think I, I don't uh, know. It, well, it, it it's, it's different or... from what you wanted. It's different from what it was before. Yeah. So you know, it makes it feel yes. like it would be. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's sort of um, and I, I guess this could be just my particular experience, but it's also a sense of how hard it is to curate a thing like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have someone like me saying like that's not or whatever because <laughs> you know what i mean like i don't think yeah. that's fair like i don't think it's yeah. fair that i would say that about it but it's just the way that i i experienced it because i think what happened in this particular one and i won't really go through much of it because i don't think it, again not fair yeah. but i think a lot of it was that these things were weird in a sense that they were really weird and like the weirdness of it was a really awesome part of it sure but it didn't seem that experimental to me it didn't seem like okay. it was a lot of new ideas in that way yeah. It was a lot of very artsy stuff in a way that uh, I love artsy stuff, but I don't think that's what I was really there for. And I think yeah. that the, the sense of like conflating artsiness with like the sort of mechanical innovation or mechanical conceptualization mm-hmm. yeah. that, that I, I had seen at previous uh, workshops from this series. Um, I don't know. Yeah. A little bit of a light down. Sure. Okay. Um, well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. And I guess, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that was the that was the that was the end of my GDC, and I think the one thing you get about GDC when you go to a bunch of stuff and is like not everything's gonna be great, not everything's gonna be what you want it to right. be. And there are you know there's there's a bunch of talks I went to that I didn't talk about here because I didn't like them. Sure, <laughs> they, never, they weren't really that interesting. They, they were they weren't interesting talk. Yeah, okay, that's right. In that yeah. sense, and I, and I, I but when you, when when you pay a lot of money for a ticket, yeah, and every second is precious, yeah you get real upset when, when something doesn't work. Or something yeah. Like that. Right. I, th- I think when we, you know, cause we had, a, I had a press patch again this year. So no complaints. Right. <laughs> Why would I? Complain? Right. Right. But, man, if I had paid $1,200 that day. Yeah. That would have yeah. been, yeah. I would have been upset. Okay. Noted. Noted. Yeah. I guess that's the thing every year is yeah. like, why would you ever pay that much? Even though I kind of do think some people should do it once. Yeah. 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 That's wild. Well, that's cool. But, that's cool, Mark. Yeah. That that uh, sounds like a lot of cool talks. Um, and yeah. it's great that like it's awesome that you're basically a celebrity now <laughs> with Panic, anyways. Oh, oh, please, please. Exactly what a California Mark would say. I know, right? Yeah. Hey, we're almost in Nevada. <laughs> I'm true. not sure I'm ready for that change. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll put on my cowboy hat. As, uh, as the, it, it gets dark, and then the lights of Vegas will come on. There we're go. gonna there we're gonna dial back oh, in. Nevada mark. So for yeah. for the Patreon recording, you're gonna show up in like a like a tux or something, or 
Martin Martini you know, hand. Alan, I would love to tell you exactly <laughs> if that is or isn't true. This isn't Patreon, is it? It is not. <laughs> no. You nope. gotta go to patreon.com slash nice games club to find out. Nice. Yeah. yeah nice. You um, nailed the URL. One more pitch yeah. for that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, you'll hear more about, you know, the car trip. Then mm-hmm. the, the stuff I did in the evening that you didn't hear about. Mm-hmm. And Super Mario Theme Park. Yes. yes. Super Mario Theme Park. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. But first an outro. But first an outro. <laughs> To our 300th, you guys. Yeah, yeah 300. 300. Let's go. Oh, 300 is a lot. That is a lot of episodes. 300 is a lot. A lot of episodes. We did it. Good job. Well. <laughs> okay. I said good job. That's enough. Yep. That's our show. <laughs> For show notes and I guess links from today's conversation, um, I'm sure Mark will come up with some stuff to link to. Mm-hmm. You can go to our website. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I don't know about California business, Mark. <laughs> Anyway, whatever California business mark gives us, we will put up on the show notes on Nice Games Club. No, NiceGames.club. You can visit us on Twitter and Mastodon at Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets and toots about game dev resources and San Francisco dogs. I assume those are dogs in San Francisco. Yes. Excellent. We like hearing from you, so please tweet and toot right back. Or email us, contact at NiceGames.club. As mentioned several times in today's episode, Nice Games Club is on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff, including ad-free episodes and cool stories from California Business Mark. You remember like Robert California from The Office? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Mark California. Anyway, si- sign up at patreon.com slash Club, And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. Next week, we'll be interviewing Rosalie Vile, who makes indie horror games, sometimes featuring teeth. <laughs> but that's it for this week. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Mojave Desert. Ah. Ta-da! And all that land. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.